Thank you again for last week. You know, sometimes after uh, larger events, maybe you found this to be true, I have uh, major milestones, um, something that's just, you know, creates a lot of energy and time and you invest in that. And then after, you know, the thing following, uh, sometimes there can be this sense of unbalance, of uh, disorientation, you know, major things that happen in our life. I think uh, life after graduation is one. We have some seniors that are going to be graduating soon, and uh, life after your move or life after kids, uh, the landscape changes, and all right, now what? Uh, um, I'm in a season of life, it's like life after the kids are gone, and then some of them are coming back, you know, so uh, what that looks like. Uh, some of you are considering life after retirement, uh, what that might look like, and, and I know for me, one of the major things that happened several years ago that left me in a place of just trying to find my bearing was after my mom passed away. You know, she'd been fighting cancer for a couple of years, seemed like things were good, seemed like she was doing well, and then, uh, you know, one surgery, and it just, you know, just life turned a different way. It just turned a corner and then kind of left, like, all right, what, what now? Uh, my dad had already passed away, now my mom had passed away, and just trying to figure out, okay, wh where do we go from here? And, um, you know, and sometimes it can seem a little obscure. It's a little nebulous. There's, you know, there's not things to grab onto. And, uh, and I share all that to say, I think uh, the disciples found themselves in that place too. For our time this morning, because we're starting James uh, next Sunday, and I thought it'd be good just to start a new book in a new month and start it clean, today I want to share a special message with you out of the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John with me, John 21. And I entitled our message, Life After Easter. Life After Easter. Oh, thanks, LJ. Does anybody need to borrow a Bible? You can raise your hand real high and would love to let you borrow a Bible if you need. And it's here in John 21, in a sense. It's, it's after the resurrection. It's after the empty tomb, the discovery of that. It's after Easter. And in some ways, we find the disciples in this place of just being a little disoriented, trying to figure out what's going on. So we're going to see where, what happens to them, where they go, what they say, what they do. And then, uh, perhaps even more importantly, what, what does Jesus do in response to that? Uh, what does Jesus do and what does Jesus say? And, and I do pray and hope and trust that as we consider this together this morning, that, that you'll be encouraged as I was, that you'll be challenged as I was uh, in considering, all right, what, what do we now do after Easter, life after Easter? So John chapter 21, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning, but for our time of reading, I'm going to just read to verse 5 to give us a uh, kind of step into the scene. So if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you don't mind. As you do, I do make an apology. Uh, the TV in the lobby, I think, uh, went out, and so we're streaming the stream to the lobby folks. So even as I'm saying this, they're going to get this, and there's like a five-second delay, so it might sound like a bad kung fu movie. Uh, so my, my apologies for that. Uh, we've got to just get uh, a new TV, I think. All right. We read, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and then, uh, I don't know why John didn't just name the other two guys, he just says the two other disciples. 
And then Simon Peter says to them, so says to the six of them, I'm going fishing. And they reply, well, we're going to go with you also. So they went out immediately, they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. That's very curious to me. And then he says to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. Imagine a very humble honesty. We'll pause there and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the day, and we're so grateful for Chris's prayer for us and for me. And Lord, as we've read these verses now, we, we trust that though it's an event that happened some 2,000 years ago, there are truths and principles, the interaction that you had with the disciples, it means something for us today. There are truths and principles and and Lord, a response that, that you're leading us to. And so God, I, I guess I just pray that your spirit would allow us to see and hear your voice and that, Lord, we would respond in a way that honors you, in a way that's edifying, in a way that allows us to grow in our faith. And so we commit our morning to you. Lord, we, we pray for wisdom and grace uh, for just the technology things and some of the curveballs that were thrown this morning. Lord, we pray for the young gal that uh, seemed like perhaps she's dehydrated and uh, Lord just herself was disoriented in some way. And so Father, bless her this morning as even as the ambulance comes and, and takes her to the hospital, be with her, we pray. We commit our time to you now. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you take a moment and say hello to someone? So realize we, we have not been in the Gospel of John, and so if you're not familiar with this, uh, it might sound, um, or we read it and just like, oh, where, where are we? What's going on? John introduces us to the next scene, and he begins in verse 1 where he says, after these things. And so one of the questions we might ask is, okay, what, what things? Certainly I think the obvious would be, well, all of chapters 1 through 20, after all that, those things. Uh, but I do think very specifically, it's after what we have, we ourselves just recently celebrated and remembered. It's, it's after the cross on the hill of Calvary where Jesus died and bled for you and for me and gave his life for your sins and mine. After that, uh, it's after the discovery of the empty tomb that Jesus uh, who died and gave his life for us, then rose again as he promised that he would, proof that he was who he claimed to be, that he's God in the flesh, the cross being the payment of our sins, the empty tomb being the receipt that God accepted, we've been atoned for, redeemed. After the empty tomb discovery, well, it's after the road to Emmaus, where Jesus shows up to the, with the two disciples and encourages them. It's after the upper room where the disciples are hiding uh, not one time, but twice when he shows up and he ministers grace and peace to them. He shows them his wounds and he, and he speaks life to them. It's after these things of unforgettable, life-changing, impactful events 
that Jesus now shows himself again. Verse 14 says this is the third time that this has happened since the resurrection. And here we are introduced to this particular group of who he shows himself to. There's seven of them. Uh, Five of them are named, the other two are not named. And we're told that it's by the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for that location. We also discover why they're there. Why, Why are these guys there? Very simply, it's because Simon Peter, who seems to have some natural leadership, says, well, I want to go fishing. And they're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We're going to go fishing with you. So we, we know the facts. We know how they got there, why they're there in the sense that they're there to go fishing. But what we don't know is the reason why Peter wants to go. We just know he went and we know the guys joined him to go fishing. Anybody here like to go fishing? So a couple of weeks ago, some of you know, there, there was a men's fishing trip. That's a the women didn't want to be outdone. That's why they're having their bus tour. But, uh, and, and I praise the Lord because uh, some of you know, like we, we made multiple attempts to go fishing and they had to be canceled and rescheduled because of weather. Uh, I have to be honest, uh, I was signed up for the uh, last, last one that got canceled. And when we got the word that it got canceled, I was secretly rejoicing like, oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, Although I enjoy the fellowship, uh, I, I do not do well on a boat anymore. It, it just jacks me up, and I'm just wrecked the next day, especially if we go on a Saturday, on Sunday. I'd be like, you guys got to stop moving, you know, and so <laughs> it's no good for me. So now, now I, I'd rather just uh, go to conveyor belt sushi and uh, like, oh, I caught some tuna today and some salmon. <laughs> I caught some French fries, you know, so. Well, these guys, uh, evidently, they like to go fishing. And so Peter says, hey, I'm going to go fishing. Now, over the years, as I've read this, you've read this, I've taught this before as well. I've wondered, though, I've wondered, because the text doesn't tell us, uh, I always get these words wrong, explicitly, implicitly, doesn't tell us directly, I'll just use that word, doesn't tell us directly. Uh, why Peter returned fishing? Why, why did he go fishing? And so it leaves us a little bit of conjecture, and in that I just pose some thoughts. Uh, I, I've wondered if, if this was, uh, in one way, Peter's way of, of processing just the enormity of everything that has happened. And, and think with me, in a very short period of time, I mean, his experience with Jesus was over the last three years and walking with him, serving with him, seeing the miracles. You know, he's had some time, but, but it's as though the, the, these very um, important events have happened in a very compact, uh, shortened amount of time. I mean, really just within a week from... Palm Sunday, the excitement of Jesus riding down on that donkey, uh, all of the events of that week, and then all of a sudden, they're in the garden, he gets arrested, uh, Peter follows, and, and the next thing you know, he's being beaten, and then he's condemned to death. I mean, the whirlwind of all of that, just in such a short period of time, and I've wondered if, if perhaps the enormity of that, Peter has to process all of that. 
And so he goes, he goes back to an activity that he's familiar with, perhaps he's comfortable with, and he finds comfort in the familiarity. I've often wondered if he initially just wanted to be alone, but he told the guys, well, here's where I'm going to go. And they're like, oh, we're going to go with you. Then I wonder if he's like, oh, great, I opened my big mouth again, you know. Here comes a crowd. And, and, I, and, I, and I've often thought, like, well, I, I think I can relate. You know, sometimes things happen in our life, and, and we're still, we've got to process it. We need to figure out what, what just happened, what's going on. And, and maybe for you, and I know for me, sometimes I just need some space. I need a place. I need, I need to process and think through, pray through what, what has happened, the the, uh, the enormity of the event or the energy that that event or that endeavor, you know, expended. And, and now all of a sudden it's just completely gone. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves just, well, we're, we, we go to things that are familiar because they're safe and they're easy. And, and we wander back to that. We can retreat to old routines. And if I can spiritualize it a little bit, I, I've often wondered if, if perhaps for Peter, this is even just slipping back to the old life because it's low risk. Uh, he's not sure of what's next. Perhaps there's a little bit of a fear. And so it's just comfortable to go backwards. It's a temptation we all face. It's a tendency we all fight. The temptation to slide back to the old life before Jesus. Life before the resurrection, if you will. And so here we find these guys doing that. They go back to the old life, the old neighborhood, the old barrio. And, and, and we know that some of them, because we know their names, they themselves are fishermen by trade. It's part of their family business. We know that this was their town. Uh, they knew exactly where to get the best falafels and, uh, and coffee. Uh, this was their old workplace. They knew those waters well, the Sea of Galilee, that they, they knew it like the back of their hand. And so they go back to something they were doing before, but notice with me what it produced for them. In verse 3, after Peter says, I'm going fishing, they say, we're going with you. The latter half of that verse says, and they, after all night, caught nothing. <laughs> they, caught, they caught nothing. Uh, for them to go out all evening, performer, former professional fishermen, and they, they catch nothing. That's the worst case scenario, isn't it? Like, no one wants to go on a fishing trip where, like, hey, how'd you do? You're like, ah, nothing, got nothing. I should have went with Rick to round sushi. You know, that's right. Uh, some years ago, Christy and I went on a whale watching trip. Had taken the day off wanted to go, there's no crowds, paid the money, got on the boat, spent half the day chasing, looking for whales in this whale-watching trip. It, it ended up being just a water-watching trip, you know. And so I was disappointed. I was a little bit angered, and I'm like, well, can I get my money back? Like, you know, I paid for a whale-watching trip, you know. There's no whales, and then the guy's like, oh, there's no guarantee. And, you know, just, if you've ever been in that place, like, just disappointed, frustrated. Uh, and I imagine maybe... The disciples are feeling that a little bit. Again, we're not told, so it's a little bit of conjecture of it, but I think it's a little bit poetic. I think it's certainly depictive, uh, these results that they experience after 
trying to uh, go back to the old life, if you will. Easy, uh, but unproductive. Seemingly a waste of time and energy. I, I think it's poetic, the fact that it happened all night. Yeah. And they're professionals, maybe they're like, oh, nighttime fishing will be the best, that's when the fish are biting, and yet night to me just means it's dark, it's unfulfilling, and they, they did not find uh, what they were looking for. They didn't have the same experience, perhaps, they, that they were used to in the old life, in the old ways. And I, and I share all of that just to say, I think that is a, a spiritual picture of how, of how it is for all of us. When we have an, an authentic encounter with the Lord, you, you've come uh, to know the grace and the forgiveness that's offered to all of us through Christ because of God's great love for you and for me. And His grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we, the Spirit then prompts our heart. We respond to that. We're like, yes, Lord, I, this, this is what I need. And we begin to walk with the Lord in that. And, and for whatever reason, if you find yourself then heading back to the old ways and the old life and our old tendencies, uh, it's not the same. And I would say to you, it's not going to be the same because you're not the same. You're the variable that has changed. Well, maybe for the old gang and the old friends and the old ways, it still looks the same, but for you, you're not the same. And, and, I, and I also believe for Peter and for these guys that fishing wasn't necessarily just their profession. This is their job. This is what they used to do. But I, I have often wondered, I, I think this is he enjoys it. It's a passion for him. And I think Jesus knew it. See, earlier in Luke chapter 5, years earlier, when Peter first calls, or excuse me, Jesus first calls Peter, Luke records this scene where it's the Sea of Galilee, it's the shoreline. Jesus is being crowded by a crowd, so it's slightly different. He wants to get into a boat, he, he borrows Peter's. And he stands on the boat, the shoreline, as a natural amphitheater and amplify his voice. He, he gives this teaching. Luke doesn't even tell us what he, he taught. The focus becomes Jesus and Peter on this boat. And after the message, Jesus says, hey, I have a little one-on-one -on -one for you. Let's push out a little further. And so they do. It's a great conversation and exchange. I encourage you to read that later in Luke 5. But part of that conversation, that interaction, it's really similar where Jesus says, hey, why don't you go ahead and go fishing, let down your nets for a catch. And Peter initially rebuffs that and says, I, I already did that. I already clocked out. When you showed up, we were washing our nets for the day. But nevertheless, at your bidding, I'll do that. And then catches all this fish. What's interesting about Luke 5, though, and I often wondered why, is when Peter sees that fish, we're told he falls down and he says, Lord, get away, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. I, fish has never convicted me that way, right? <laughs> you guys, on the fishing trip, like you get all the fish, you're like, oh man, we're all sinners, let's repent right now, right? No, I'm usually taking pictures and look what I got, right? I don't go to round round sushi and be like, Lord, I'm so sinful, forgive me, you know, more wasabi, you know. Just an interesting scene. 
But, but the Lord encourages him in that, and he says to Peter, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. And, and I love that about the Lord. See, I, I think the Lord knew that Peter really enjoyed fishing. It wasn't just a job for him. It was a pastime. Maybe he's good at it. And the Lord says, you know, I'm going I'm to allow your passion to remain intact, but I'm going to use that. I'm going to leverage that. I'm going to repurpose that for my kingdom. That he'll still be able to enjoy the excitement of that, and yet, instead of doing it for himself and for others, well, he's going to do it for the Lord. And, and God loves to do that with your passions and your pursuits and your interests and whatever they may be, to give those things to God and allow God to use that and, in a sense, give it back to you. And, and you use that for building his kingdom and blessing others. And so I think part of this is just Peter's passion. He, he defaults to this because this is what he likes to do. And yet it does represent at least the sea and the place and all of that, something that the Lord had called him out of from before. And gang, I would say anytime that we go backwards from the call of God, anytime that you find yourself uh, going in a direction that's away from the purposes that God has for you, uh, you and I will also experience disappointment. We, we will also experience uh, the spending of time and resources and energy that seemingly will be unrewarding. It will be unfulfilling. It will, you, you'll, going back to the old life, I can say it this way, it will leave you empty and exhausted. And, and this is a, a picture of that, a reminder of that. Well, we know the Lord as they knew the Lord. They knew that he had risen as we know he's risen. But for whatever reason, uh, they have drifted, maybe even drifted. It's been determined. They, it was purposeful. They, they've just gone in the other direction. And, and, and it's not so long after Jesus has risen again that he then, well, he shows up. And I love this scene, verse 4. I love this, this chapter, this section, by the way. All of it. In verse 4, it tells us, but, but in the morning, but in the morning, it's a new day. It's a new dawn. And there Jesus is standing on the shore. It, it is this snapshot of the grace of God in your life and mine through Jesus Christ because in the morning Jesus is there in the morn early in the morning the tomb was empty the impact of that truth for whatever reason didn't seem to stick or settle in so deep not yet and here it is it's another day it's another chance it's another gift of grace i read this past week and i don't remember the exact quote i I remember at first service, I'm looking at Yumi, who's translating in Japanese for us. But the quote was something to this effect. We shouldn't be surprised that God gives us second chances because we didn't deserve the first one, <laughs> which is true. The grace of God. And here, it's a new day, and the Lord is there. Lamentations 3 Verses 22 and 23, it's also a beautiful song, right? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. 
They never come to an end. Great is God's faithfulness. Last week, this week, today, tomorrow, God's mercies are new every morning. And, and this scene reminds us of that. Even as followers of Christ, we love the Lord. God loves you. We celebrate and we remember Good Friday and Easter. But there are times where we can find ourselves drifting away. We can find ourselves falling back to comfortable and easy. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves falling into complacency. Where we just kind of go on autopilot. But God's calling us and God's commissioned us. And God has something so much greater. He's called us out of our old life. And so it's a new day. And just as the Lord would call out to them, I do believe the Lord calls out to us by His Spirit to remind us it's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. And for some of us, it's just a fresh restart. And sometimes we need that. You know, these past few weeks, we've been having, we've been having some, well, past few months, some tech trouble and computer and live stream. And so I apologize again for all of that. Even today, I was like, oh man, I thought... Seem like we're doing better than the TV just conked out. So, but you know, it is what it is. There's grace. Uh, but we took one of the computers in uh, for just diagnostics, and sure enough, some issues were found. The power supply was bad. The hard drive, one of the hard drives, was bad, and so some things needed to be removed and replaced. Drivers needed to be refreshed and updated, and all this and. You know, just some things needed a fresh restart, a reset. And I thought about that. I think, you know, that, that's us too. There's times where, oh, we're, we're, we're somewhat functional. <laughs> but if too much demand comes on us, we, something goes awry. Like, you know, all of a sudden we're not, we're not really operating at capacity the way that God intended us. And things get a little wonky in our life. And so we're kind of at partial capacity and what does the Lord want to do? Well, sometimes it just needs to be a reset, a being refreshed, reminded of God's truth, the, the desire the Lord wants to, you know, for us to have a joyful expression of worship, excitement about what God's doing in our life. I, I pray that you're excited about what God is, wants to do and is doing in your life. Sometimes that wanes. Easter is exciting. Gathering together is exciting. We remember Jesus is alive. That's exciting. And all of a sudden, well, the next week, we're kind of just back to the normal grind of things. Well, here Jesus comes, and he, it's the morning. He stands on the shoreline. The disciples, were told, didn't know that it was him. And he calls out to them, verse 5, Children, have you any food? At least that's, the New King James translates it that way. That's what I'm reading from. And, he, and they respond to him, no. And so there's the scene, they're out on the boat, they've already been fish, well, trying to fish all night. Here's this guy on the shore and he calls out to them, did you guys catch anything? <laughs> I wonder if those words were stinging. Ugh. We're not told the attitude or the response and how they said no, right? How do they say no? <laughs> Why didn't the disciples know that it was the Lord? I, I don't know. Some have theorized perhaps the sun was rising behind him, and so it's just the silhouette. And so 
just by virtue of that dynamic, they can't recognize, they don't see him. Maybe. Maybe they're, uh, they're just completely exhausted by their empty nets. Their heads are down. They don't want to face the reality of, man, we just spent all night trying to do this and got nothing. Maybe they're just down because of disappointment. You ever been there? Right? Almost like you don't even have the energy to lift your head. Or, or maybe they're just, they're just too busy to be really aware of his presence. We don't know even how long he's been standing there. It just says when the morning came, there's Jesus. He's standing on the shore. You know, sometimes uh, we can be fully present, engaged on a Sunday morning, and we're like, yeah, this is good. But then come Monday, life happens. School, the alarm clock goes off. You've got to get to work. There's dishes that are waiting and laundry and shopping and planning for summer vacation. I mean, just life comes at you, and, and, and sometimes we, we just kind of leave Jesus standing on the shoreline until next Sunday. Oh, there he is. <laughs> but the Lord calls, and he called out to them, and he called them children, which is kind of interesting, but not in a belittling way. It's a very endearing term. Yeah, the original Greek, it's, it's the word pation. Sounds like Star Wars, padawan. Pation, but it, it's, it, it literally means little ones, kids, children. It's a very endearing term, very tender term. It's very, you know, it's relational. It's based upon relationship. And there you call out to them. It wasn't too long ago the disciples, actually it was on what we call Easter morning. We find them hiding in a room. They're afraid. It says for fear. Perhaps for fear because they're afraid that the authorities are going to come find them and arrest them. Maybe do the same thing that happened to their Jesus. But for whatever reason, they're, they're in this locked room. They're afraid. And, uh, and Jesus shows up. And he shows up in the midst of their fear. And he presents his hands. In fact, it happens twice. Remember Thomas, Thomas ditched church that Sunday. It's a great lesson for us. Don't ditch church. Like The Lord showed up. But even in that, there's grace. He makes it to the next Sunday, and the Lord shows up again, and it's the same thing. Thomas, you don't have to doubt anymore. Go ahead. You can touch me. He's not afraid of our doubts and challenges. The Lord welcomes those things. But he ministered peace to them. He ministered hope to them. And, and you know, remember the scene, though. They, they're afraid because all that's happened, and the last time they were with Jesus, what happened to them? Anybody remember? What happened to them the last time they were with Jesus for a thousand points? Yeah, very good, Tina. They ran away. They bailed on him. And so the Lord doesn't show up like how I think I would respond and be like, what happened to you guys? You bailed on me. You ditched me. I can't count on you for nothing. Give them a little scolding. No. He ministers grace to them and, and hope to them and peace to them. And it's the same scene here. This is the third time. I know how I am with my kids. I got to tell you three times now. I'm not like little children. I'm like knuckleheads, dingbats, you know. 
And yet he, he ministers grace to them. It's not like, what in the world is going on with you guys? Again, it's affirming, it's identity, it's relationship, it's affection. If you're familiar with the Spanish word, you know, it's like hola mija or mijo. It's very, it's very endearing. And so once again, the disciples though, or excuse me, Jesus is there. And again, I love this scene because it's a new day. The Lord is there. He's perhaps just been there the whole time watching all of this happen. And yet he engages them. Right? The, Lord, the Lord is the one who came to them. And again, just a reminder of how the Lord comes to us. It's the resurrected Jesus that shows up on the road to Emmaus when the guys are walking out of Jerusalem depressed and without hope. He ministers to them. He has a meal with them. He gives them the word, their heart. It's a good heartburn. Their heart burned within them. The upper room, it's Jesus who goes to them in their state of fear, in their state of, of you know, bewilderment ministers hope and grace to them. It's doubting Thomas to provide proof to him. And once again, the third time, here Jesus shows up now in the short line. Gang, we, we have to remember, the Lord doesn't save us, give us the word, say, okay, here you go, I'm going to pack you up and send you out, and all right, we'll see you on the other side, hopefully you'll make it. As though when we came to know God's grace through the Spirit working in your life, and we come to realize, man, God has given me this tremendous gift. I'm gonna, we get saved, and then all of a sudden the Lord's like, all right, you're on your own. Hopefully you'll make it with the group of people I put you with, and I'll meet you at the finish line. No, the Lord goes with us, and He walks with us, and He gives us His Spirit. We're not left alone, and and see, here's the thing, the Lord still comes and meets us where we're at. Before we're saved, before Easter and after Easter, before the resurrection and after the resurrection. Because there are times where we still find ourselves in our own fears and doubts and worries and frustrations and wanderings uh, and all of that. He is our good shepherd God bless you. And he comes to you where you are because he wants to bring us to where he wants us to be. And I get it. I, I've been there. You've been there. We, we, we get discouraged. We have dark times. We, we're disappointed. Life happens and we're trying to figure out what's going on and, and we're tempted just to go back to easy. We're tempted to go back to like, I, this is what I know. This is what I'm comfortable with. And yet there's the Lord I would say all the time. If anybody's moved, it's you or it's me. In our darkest of days and our darkest of times, Jesus is there and he sees and he cares. And I, and I wonder, and I suggest to you that he allowed the scene to play out so that they would realize how empty that pursuit is. It would be a self-revelation that they would be like, what, what am I doing? What's going on? And that's the grace of the Lord. Even in the garden, when Adam and Eve blew it, we're told they go hide. 
(laughs) They try to cover themselves with their own works. And God comes walking, and he asks, where are you? I don't think he didn't know where Adam was. And we try to hide from God like kids. You ever play hide-and-seek with little kids? They're terrible at it. They're horrible. Go hide under the table. They think if they just close their eyes, you can't see them. You know. So we play along. Where are you? Yeah. Try to hide from God. We're terrible. Yet the Lord came, right? The Lord came walking in the cool of the garden. He calls out. I think he calls out, not because he doesn't know where Adam is. I think he wants Adam to <laughs> confess where he is. We're hiding, Lord. How did you do? We got nothing, Lord. Yet God comes and he, he meets us where we're at. That's the grace of our Lord. The question is, did you find what you're looking for out there? Whatever you thought you would find apart from me, did you find it? And the, and the disciples answer truthfully, no. And good for them. Imagine it was a, it's a humble humility or a humility of honesty. It was a contrite confession. They had to surrender to the reality of their situation. They got nothing. All that they looked for, all they went searching for, they, they came up empty. And then the Lord in his grace, again, if I'm Jesus, I'd be like, I knew it. Why did you do that? You wasted your time. He says, oh, okay, well, why don't you cast your nets to the right side and try that out? Can he be even any more gracious? And you'll find some. And so they cast, and guess what? They did. <laughs> we read that today and be like, no, duh. We have to give some kudos to these guys that, because again, I often try to put myself in the accounts, like, what would I do if I'm on the boat and and I don't know that's the Lord, right? To me, it's just some guy on the shore being like, you guys catch anything? Or like, no. Why don't you try the other side? Be like, okay, no. <laughs> Been there, done that. Tried that already. I've already sp- spent hours at this. Thank you, but no thank you. And so, uh, to their credit, though, they did. And we should, you know, they're surprised. Hopefully that we would be fresh eyes surprised. Like all of a sudden there's all this fish. And I think it's just a great lesson for us. You know, the Bible says of God that he's able to do exceedingly above, beyond, abundantly, beyond all that we could ever ask or think. That's our God. And sometimes I think we... We just kind of settle for, okay, Lord, if you just give me this. You know, the Lord wants to bless you. The Bible says that God's intentions for you are good, to give you a future and a hope, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you and I could ask or think. The question, though, really, the, the challenge for us is do we really believe that? We read it. We say, okay, I believe the word, but do you believe that for yourself? Do you pray that way? It's easy to believe that for other people. I think I quoted that to three other people this week. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ask or think. Do I appropriate that for my own life, my own self? Like, Lord, do you want to do that in my life? I mean, what, what would it mean for you and for me? What would it mean for you today, if I can say it this way in love, if you 
uh, let go of your reliance of self. Your skills, your knowledge, oh, you know this place, you know this routine, this is your, you're the professional. Not to take any of that away from you, but, but what if you just, you trusted Jesus and you followed his lead? To do something outside of the box. I mean, do you, do you think the Lord wants to produce good things for you? Do you think the Lord wants to bring good into your life? Of course he does. But sometimes it, well, not sometimes, it, it requires us then to yield to that. It requires us to surrender uh, us and our ways and our will to what God wants to do and, and in order for us really to experience the fullness of blessing. Even when it, we may think it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense. These guys already tried that. What's the difference between this side of the boat and the right side of the boat? I, you know, spiritually, maybe they're just fishing on the wrong side. <laughs> Whatever side that was, go on the right side. And this whole scene, we realize, is deja vu. It says, now therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved, that's John speaking about himself, just has to throw that in there. He says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter, when he hears it, puts on his outer garment. That's his tunic. He had taken it off. He, and he jumped into the ocean. He jumped right into the sea, and he's going for it. Some of, the, some of you military guys, right? He, he's motivated. All the other guys, they told, were told they came in a little boat, verse 8, and they're not far from the land. And they had, they're dragging this net with all the fish. The scene goes down, and there's this exchange, and all of a sudden, John, who it's true to his personality type, he's the data analyst. He's like, hey, this is familiar. And he comes to the realization that it's the Lord. I, I say deja vu because I referenced Luke 5 earlier. It's, really, it's a very similar scene. Jesus has done this before. It's a rebroadcast of the original call. And John now announces the obvious. It's, it's, the Lord, it's the Lord calling. It's the Lord at work. Why didn't we get that before? I don't know. But we can all find ourselves sometimes in that place. There's the Lord in His grace calling to you. And for some of us, it's a, it's a rebroadcast of the original. You already know the Lord. You already love the Lord. You, you've, we've already celebrated the resurrection. We've placed our faith in the Lord, but for whatever reason, we're adrift. We're, we're involved or we're heading in other activities, and the Lord would say to you today in love, like, hey, here I am. How's that working out for you? And so Peter, true to Peter, takes the plunge. The disciples follow. Thank God for our friends who help us see the Lord. Who help us say, hey, that, that's God at work. Don't you know that? Do you realize that? Like all these things that are happening, that's Jesus working in your life. Thank God for those people. Speak truth to us, encourage us. Sometimes we're not paying attention. Sometimes we're distracted and we miss out on the blessing and someone else says, hey, that's God working there. And what happens? Verse 9, 
As soon as they came to the land, they saw the fire of coals there. It's a barbecue on the beach. There's fish, there's bread. The Lord's making fish tacos. And he said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Great scene. They all come in. And I love this scene. Because here's what I think it speaks to and it convicts me of every time I read it. Uh, when they get there, Jesus already had fish. <laughs> the very thing that they went to go look for, try to be fulfilled in, try to go find, Jesus already had it. They spent their entire evening looking for it, all the energy they spent, all of their time. And yet the Lord not only did provide for them a lot, he already had some. And gang, how many times do we set out in vain to go try to find contentment or fulfillment or something that we think we're going to find outside of Christ only to find out we don't find it, only to find out it was in the Lord all the time? And here's a reminder of that. And what kindness of Jesus. In verse 12, he says, hey, why don't you come and join me? Come and eat breakfast. Those are divine words. Come and eat breakfast. It's a gracious invitation. You know, the Lord invites us. Here's what's amazing to me about this. He says, come bring some of the fish that you've caught. Again, I don't know if you do this. I do this often. I think, if I was the Lord, what would I say? Come bring the fish you caught because I just let you catch it. Right? I would add a little bit of a qualifier. You'd have nothing unless I helped you. And yet, <laughs> he invites them to come and bring what he actually provided for them. Uh, that, that, is, that is the invitation of the Christian. Come and join me and participate in what God wants to do with what God has given to you. What do we bring to the equation? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Paul says to the First Corinthians, of every grace and gift, uh, Everything that you have, guess what? It came from God. So why do you think that you brought your own thing? You didn't. And the Lord invites us. Come participate in what I want to do with what I've provided for you. And so Peter does, the disciples do. We read that he takes this big net full of fish. There's lessons in that as well. The exact number, it's interesting, 153. Take charge kind of guy. In fact, it's Peter who later on will say in 1 Peter 4.10, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, the multi-dimension grace of God, the, the fullness of the grace of God, he says, let each of us use whatever gift that God's given us to serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10. So Peter shows up, takes the invitation. Jesus, verse 13 came, took the bread, gave it to them, likewise the fish. He, he's serving them. The Lord is the most gracious host. Invites them to participate, invites them to communion, come and eat. And I love that. You know, ministry happens around a meal. That's why for us at Calvary, our joke is we're calorie chapel. 
Because oftentimes you go through the scripture and you find the breaking of bread, having a meal. It, because in that culture, and I think some cultures today, it, it meant, it was, in, you know, it was, they, they, didn't, they weren't rushed. It wasn't fast food. I think sometimes Western culture, and even Japanese culture, you know, there's some, especially in Tokyo, there's no chairs. You just walk up to the ramen bar and you pound and you go. But for them, it was relaxed, it was relational, you talked, you shared, there's no double dip rule, which, you know, for us is getting gross, but they just went for it. And food was the vehicle for fellowship. And so here again, though, it, we see the heart of Jesus. He is serving them. He provided everything. He's serving them. He's serving them the meal. He's serving them the, the fish and the bread. He invites them, hey, why don't you come? It's relationship, it's community, it's communion, it's restoration. Do you understand that's what the Lord is after? God cares more about you and how you're doing with him than what you do for him. This scene happens first, then Jesus recommissions Peter to go and do. But it's come and eat first. Come and sit, come and, come and commune. The following scene is very powerful. It's a conversation between Peter and Jesus as they're walking on the beach. And it's, a, and it's an extension of this. Again, I, I've wondered, why did Peter go fishing? To process the enormity of the, everything that happened prior? It doesn't tell us, so it's conjecture. I, I've, I've wondered if Peter was processing his own failure. Because for him, the last scenes with Jesus were one of denial, were one of betrayal, were one of disassociation. I don't know him. It was over a different fire. And he said, and he swore, I swear I don't know him. I wonder if Peter... In the midst of all the excitement, he just focused on that. And sometimes that happens. And you, you, something great can happen, but you, I know that I, I, sometimes I just focus on, like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I tell that dumb joke on Sunday? Why did I, you know, like, like you can dismiss all the good and you're just focused on the thing that we failed. I wonder if that's Peter. And then hence this conversation specifically with Peter where Jesus says, and I'll paraphrase. Hey, Peter, it doesn't matter. You follow me. That's what's before you today. You follow me. It's a new day. I'm calling you again, and I'll call you again and again. And so don't worry about what John is doing and what others are doing. Don't worry about what happened before. I have something new for you. Your job is to follow me. Your sins are forgiven. Good Friday just happened. Good Friday is every day. We're, we're forgiven every day. Easter Sunday, the resurrection is every day. We are freed every day to live a resurrected life every day. See, life after Easter is Easter life every day. Paul says in the Galatians 2.20, uh, it's, it's not I who live anymore. I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live in this body, I live in Christ Jesus. His Spirit is inside of me. 
I live in faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. Gang, that's the life that God calls us to. Oh, there's the bell. In the book of James, I'm going to beat the bell. We die to the old self, rise to new life, a new work. Exciting, fulfilling, abounding, better than before. That's life after Easter. And I pray that we would grab a hold of that by God's grace with all of our being. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much. You want us to be active participants. That you invite us to yourself. You're always there, Lord. You're so gracious. You come to us where we are. Help us to live the resurrected life every day. Or that we might remember today, be reassured today, reaffirmed. It's your call. It's a recall of your original broadcast. New life, new endeavors, grace in Christ. Lord, help us to respond, that we wouldn't drift away from that, that we wouldn't be despondent, that, Lord, we wouldn't even be uh, purposeful in running from you, because you find us, and you call to us in your grace. You did with Adam, you did with Jonah, You sent the storm. You sent the fish. And so, Lord, may we respond to that today to commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, gang, thanks. Thank you for your love and grace, your patience.